0: As always, our show is sponsored by Memoria Press. You can find our curriculum at memoriapress.com.
1: Welcome to Classical Etc., a show from Memoria Press that dives into the philosophy, culture, and heart of classical education. You're in the studio with Shane Saxon.
0: Welcome to another episode of Classical Etc. I'm seated with Paul, a very serious man, Tanya, and Ian. And on today's episode, we're going to be talking about the great conversation before that we got a question. It was from YouTube. We got this question from YouTube and this is what it asks. The person says that they are preparing for their homeschool journey. They left a very kind and positive comment, but then they asked this question. My question pertains to extracurricular activities. Dun, dun, dun. I feel confident in the quality of my children's future education using Memorial Press's classical core curriculum. However, I'm finding the world of extracurricular activities to be overwhelming between sports, art, music, dance, et cetera. I am struggling between my desire to have well-rounded children and not wanting them to get overloaded with activities. Do you all have any advice on how to strategically place our children in extra activities and how many is too many?
2: I think it becomes too many when you, when it's interfering with your family life Mm. I think you've got to, I mean, you've got to get your schoolwork done. And then I do, I don't see anything wrong with limiting the number of activities Mm -hmm. that each child does. The problem is, if you've got four children on four different soccer teams, I mean, you're just going to be gone all the time. And that's just, you know, that's a stage of life. Sure. Is you become a taxi, but extracurricular activities are good, especially art and. And PE kind of activities, physical activities and music. It's all important, but you do you do have to limit or they can take over. And if they really start like if you're just stressed all the time because your family's never together at home in the solace of your home, then it's time to cut back, I would say. Sure.
0: We at this table, you're the only seasoned parent. The rest mm-hmm. of us are more seasoned educators, perhaps, than seasoned parents. Um, but speaking as from an, an educational perspective, um, Martin Cothran gave me a book called Range that he really liked, and I really liked it as well. And the book basically talks about two approaches to education, one being specifying and getting really deep into a particular discipline. Um, and so the example there is Tiger Woods was golfing when he was like four. Mm-hmm. Um, or trying to be a generalist. And so Roger Federer is the example. He did a lot of different things, and then he became. Both of them were great in their sports, but one of them was a notably better human being than the other. And that person being a generalist, and throughout the book, kind of argues for the ways that being a generalist can be a really helpful way to to, to move through life. So I think from the perspective of education, the desire to have your stu- students be well rounded is a good one on a basic level. It it's is just, a good the balance one, is the issue. But right?
2: if you and I haven't read Range. But if you don't, like if you have an interest that is just the all-encompassing interest, if you don't then spend a lot of time on that one thing, if you want to be a gymnast at the Olympics, then you're going to have to not be a generalist. You're going to, I mean, it just depends on what your goal is. How many though of our children <laughs> are really going to re- be able to sure. to get there?
0: Yeah.
2: But I do think extracurricular activities, especially sports, are really good for instilling discipline mm-hmm. and learning how to lose well how and to work you know, on a team. Yes, how to work on a team. All of those things are good in moderation.
0: Mm-hmm. Paul, when you're talking to online academy families, they're asking this kind of question. Any advice that you give?
3: Well, we have we have both kinds of families, some that are, you know, doing ballet for thirty hours a week, right? Um, or but you have others that are saying, well, we're gonna, you know, maybe we'll let each child choose an extracurricular, but it's one extracurricular. Right. Right. Um, but the parent may not see piano lessons once a week or twice a week as an extracurricular, right? that's just something we do. That's part of our academics, right? Like we're trying to teach you fine arts. And you know, now if you're going to take that piano to a level where you're going to be doing that two hours a day, then that's your extracurricular. Right. Um, But if it's just something where we are trying to get you that generalist education, then that may not be seen as extracurricular. What might be seen more as an extracurricular is that sports team or the you know, the the horseback riding or, the, you know, whatever it is. That's right.
2: I would never, and my children would never have considered their music lessons to be extracurricular. Sure. They <laughs> were, you know, because they had to work at it. They right. had to study just like you would study at an academic, academic course. So that is a good distinction to make is piano lessons versus being on a t-ball team. Sure. Or, you know, we do fine arts is, should be part of our core and we're working on making it more the core you know as we work with carol reynolds and hopefully try to um increase the offerings that we have for fine arts education and uh, and i think kind of what i tend to see is
3: families when their kids are young because your t-ball may be twice a week right one practice one game right and so they, as when their kids are young, they get involved in several different things. But then, as those children get older, each one of those things takes more time mm-hmm. because because th- that that older version of whatever that thing is is supposed to be now at a higher level. So you have to put mm-hmm. more more practice into it or more more time into it. And so it's sort of a, a normal thing where you they, they kids get involved young and then you have to start saying okay we're cutting that out because we don't have time like and- a
2: traveling soccer team mm-hmm, you know right? they're like they they travel all the time now these mm-hmm. traveling teams i think when i was young we didn't have traveling teams you were either on the school team or not now there's a lot of extra things that homeschoolers can do a lot of teams they can be on and there's some people that choose to homeschool precisely because they're on one of those teams yes because they want the flexibility to be (laughs) able to do that because it's really important to them I'm not sure we've helped at all
3: (laughs) (laughs) I think we've brought a couple of distinctions that might be helpful but I I think you know it's it's helpful every year to sort of reevaluate the use of your time the use of our time Mm -hmm. so Mm -hmm. then that way you don't put yourself in a position where all of a sudden you're so overloaded that you got to say, we got to cut things now. Mm. Right. Right. Yeah. yeah. I
0: think those are some helpful points. Um, transitioning to our topic for today, we're going to talk about the great conversation. So a couple of weeks back, we talked about the liberal arts, but if you look at our, our mission statement, what warrior press is trying to do is encourage homeschool families and schools that are giving a classical education that instills virtue Um and wisdom through an education in the liberal arts and the great conversation. So this topic is the great conversation. First, that phrase, I think someone used the word specious before we sat down. That phrase is a bit specious.
2: What do it you, was mean? Ian. <laughs> what do you <laughs> mean
0: by the great conversation? Paul, tease that out for me. What, what exactly make it less specious
2: it? for Ian?
3: I don't think Talk I know what plain. the word specious means. Um, it's appropriate. <laughs> so, I think I'm going to assert that the great conversation is synonymous with the great books because once you start, once you get involved in, in the world of books, you realize that books really are responses to other books, Mm -hmm. right? They're not just out there, you know, they're not the guy out on the corner, just shouting to the wind, but they are responding to somebody else who wrote a book. So all of that is in in the books that have stood the test of time. It's, it's a, it's a huge conversation, Mm -hmm. right? And I think by great we mean not only large, but it is also of of weighty importance, mm-hmm. right? And so by using the term great conversation, we're saying these are the humanity's been having a dialogue about the, the the foundational ideas of what it means to be human for ever since you know the 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 first written word, and so. We want our students participating in that, not just being bystanders and 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 soaking up the the thoughts of the day, mm. but really understanding the depth of that conversation or mm. in that dialogue, and then uh, hopefully then assimilating the best of that conversation and then jumping in and participating from here on out. Do you think the great conversation
0: is, is more than just the great books or are those synonymous
3: terms? Tanya has thoughts. I'm going to let I her I do because
2: in. I think, you know, the great conversation starts very young and I don't know that I would say that Heidi is one of the great books, but, great but I point. think we yeah. can certainly have meaningful, um, enriching, Conversations based on the themes in a book like Heidi. So I do about, think we about
0: ideas that are universal and go universal. Back to early questions yes. that Plato humility, nature
2: yeah. versus the city. Um, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll get behind we, that. Yeah. We, Okay. I mean, I do think that is the, do we want to call that the great conversation? I think it is the great conversation. It's just on a fourth grade level or a fifth grade level.
0: So what are some of the other themes that have kind of resounded in the great conversation that pop up in a book like Heidi or in Shakespeare?
1: Yeah. I mean, I think you've got friendship in something like Heidi. I just recently read through Mm -hmm. it myself. You've got that idea of True friendship. I think justice is always, always a, a part of the great conversation. I mean, th- I think if we could just say plainly, any of the virtues, the carnal mm. virtues or the theological virtues, those are themes that we're, that we're going to see pop up over and over and over again. And, and, and sometimes it's in a silly way in a Shakespeare play love, you know, just the, the wildness of love or the silliness of love, but at the same time, it can be very profound in a Shakespeare play. Know what love is, what justice is. I mean, you read something like King Lear, and you you have Mm a you have a a deep sense of an injustice that occurs, and and the sacrifice that occurs because of it, and the tragedy of it all. You know, so you 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 participate in those ongoing conversations.
3: Maybe to go more sort of foundationally, there, right? The question is, um, what is the good, and what does it mean to be good? Mm -hmm. Yeah, right. Mm -hmm. And and that takes manifestations of those different virtues, mm-hmm. but I think it, you know to to go back to Plato and Aristotle, right? we fundamentally we're asking questions about the good life, mm. right? And 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 that is sort of determining what how we see ourselves, what, where we see ourselves flourishing, where we see ourselves reaching our full potential, and and it's in those virtues, yeah. And and but you know, there's there's moral virtues, there's intellectual virtues, there's A whole slew of things. So, you know, a a book on philosophy is going to be part of that great conversation. A book, a a literary book is going to be part of that great conversation. And so far as it's incarnating those virtues into a story, um, you know, a book on theology is going to be part of that as well as we're trying to hash out, okay, now what's our relationship to God? What can we know about God and he who is goodness itself, right? So all of that, I think. um, And
2: also lessons in pain and suffering. Mm-hmm, Not mm-hmm. just virtue, but what do we do with pain and suffering?
3: Mm. and what's the virtuous response to pain and suffering yeah. and what
2: is the virtuous response? that's right. um, and I think the perfect example is I don't know if you all have read the door in the wall, mm. but it mm. is the it is you know on a it is on a fifth or sixth grade level and and it teaches that you know they' throughout through pain and suffering we can still have full purposeful lives yeah
0: paul i want to go back to you you, you said that kind of the great conversation is how do, how do we live a virtuous life or at least that's a central question it, it made me think you know in a conversation there's usually a question that starts the conversation mm. another question that maybe started the conversation is what does it mean to be human but the question what does it mean to you know flourish is kind of a different take on that what what other questions do we think are in mm-hmm. contention if we were saying these are a few of the questions we think maybe were the first question what other questions would they be
1: i mean i think the question of purpose what are we here for what mm-hmm. is it what what are we
0: honoring dishonoring
1: what
3: are what are, what are, what is our end goal or telos? if you want to use a word like that well and i think you know in part of that conversation right as that conversation evolves then people start saying well is there an end goal that's right right which yeah. is something that's that that would come up at a high school level, right? Yes. Um, obviously, we're going to start with that assumption in, in yeah. younger years. We're right? not
2: going to ask the <laughs> third <laughs> grader, <laughs> "Is there an end right. goal?"
3: Right. Um, it, so no, I think Ian's absolutely right. I mean, you, purpose. Um, you I mean, you're really talking about being okay. So what you said, you know, what does it mean to be human? Um, and i think you're talking about um doing right yep. i mean those are your t- yep. your two things like so, so what is what what does it mean to you know what what is the human and what does the human do mm. and those are sort of the the the, the, the foundation but then it's I, I i don't know that i've or we have expressed kind of what i'm getting at is if that's the trunk right you've got all these branches yeah, and shoots that's right. going on it's off. A tree Huge. And and you could you could look at a book and go well that's not part of the great conversation and in fact it is because it's off on this branch and it's a branch of a branch of a branch that fundamentally is still coming back and asking that same question and, and
0: we're teaching students to to understand how things they encounter relate to that conversation. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So Tony, on that point, you've mentioned a few ways that literature helps our even younger students kind of engage with the great conversation. Are there other subjects or ways that our curriculum brings? young students into contact with the great conversation?
2: Well, um, the obvious first leap would be classical studies, those Mm -hmm. famous men books, because they're, they're hinged on characters, Mm. um, good characters, bad characters, virtuous characters, Mm -hmm. evil characters. And so it just continues. It's the same. It's not so as much thematic, sure, but it is certainly teaching, um, a set of ethics mm. and how to be a leader, how to be a good leader. What is a good leader? Right. Um, mistakes that people have made. So that would be for the young students the next obvious thing. And and obviously Christian studies. Sure. I don't I feel like that speaks for itself, but I I thought I should mention it that, that yeah. you know, the Bible yeah. has yeah. Sure. all of That's those right. stories. Right. You know, when people call us and ask us how we deal with the betrayal of Lancelot and Guinevere to King Arthur in the book and how they talk to their students about it. I always say, how do you talk to them about David and Bathsheba That's right. and Uriah? I mean, um, it's the same thing. It's the same themes over right. and over and over. And you can find all of them in the Bible. Yeah.
0: So in any other ways that you think that our students are brought in contact with a great conversation?
2: Well, I think
1: even in some, I mean, I think, that's kind of who we are, is, is everything points towards that, just like we were talking about in the Christian studies episode. Everything points towards being Christian. So I think even from a technical side, anytime you are learning a language, Latin, going on to learn something like Greek, you are able then to participate in an even deeper way. So it's all preparation. It's mm-hmm. preparation to be able to go on and and read Caesar. To Read Virgil, not just in English, but in Latin, you know, those kinds yes, of things. Yes,
2: learning Latin for the sake of learning Latin. That's right. right. Or for to be able to read That's those right. original translations um, and science, mm. the study of nature, actually recognizing the miraculous. There's an
1: order to nature. Yeah, that, an yeah.
2: order and in, in beauty mm-hmm. and also ugliness. Mm. Yeah. I mean, it's nature's hard to.
0: I like how our, our middle school science books are kind of written from their perspective. I'm thinking of trees book specifically from, of a, you know, an old school natural philosopher who, who's, you know, a peripatetic, almost a modern day mm-hmm. peripatetic walking around, just taking notes on the ways they see mm-hmm. the world. And that's mm-hmm. a part of the conversation, the great conversation started by Aristotle.
3: What is around us and how do we describe it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I mean, I think the, the, I mean, Tanya mentioned the famous men books. I think history as well. And 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 to include the the comment on science, you know, there are I, I ideas that are being proposed in science through books, through conferences, whatever, actually affect history. Mm-hmm. Right. And so to to reduce history to um, and we mentioned this in the Christian studies uh, podcast, but to re- reduce history to uh, just names and dates and not realize that there are ideas here mm-hmm. that are affecting what's happening. And, and so it's important to to bring all of that together. Right. And so we look at, you know, it, we can be participated in that great conversation by learning the history, by learning, you know, the effects that these ideas have, mm-hmm. um, you know, and you, Galileo, right? I mean, it's it's a scientific thing that there have there have been. I mean, there have been wars fought over Galileo, but um, you know, significant disagreements and and arguments over that. Um, but it's a scientific idea, right? They published in a book. Yeah. So coming back, Paul,
0: you kind of started in a literary direction and talked about the Great Conversation as kind of the pinging back and forth of ideas between authors. I wanted to ask you three if you could think of examples of where a idea in the great conversation was talked about by one author and then picked up again later mm-hmm. by another author. So like one example is kind of the philosophy 101 one example is Descartes. He's musing about the fact that he, can, that he doubts and realizing he doubts, he says, I think, therefore I am. But why is he even considering this question of what it means to, to be? It's because he's meditating on prior philosophers who are trying to describe what being is, Mm -hmm. right? So that's just a a reaction to a lot of philosophical writing that had come before. Paul, can you think of other examples where that is just a clear part of the great conversation that we are preparing our students to step into?
3: Well, I don't know why because I don't know this book terribly well, but um the book that comes to mind is moby dick mm. right so he writes this in a time where the 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 oil industry right the whale blubber industry is they're going around and and you know so in in killing a bunch of whales and harvesting what they've what they've got right but he so he's writing about that issue but he's contextualizing it with regards to man's relationship to the world, Mm. right? Which is what many, many figures before him are talking about, right? So you've got the, the, the romantics that are bringing in and saying, well, the, actually, if man would just stop harming nature, nature would be good. Right. And then you've got Herman Melville who comes along and says, well, I mean, yeah, man gets killed by nature. Mm. Um, and, and nature is bigger than us. And so he's all, he's a part of that conversation, but he's, but he's making it bigger than just mm-hmm. the the story of, of Ahab going after the
0: white whale. The romantic notion that the nature is this wonderful, peaceful place mm-hmm. of bliss is challenged <laughs> by a killer white
3: whale. Yeah. Yeah. And I would, I you know, I say all of that um trepidatiously i feel like kyle needs to come in here but i think
0: you're illustrating that's part of the joy of a classical education is starting to see that moby dick isn't just a story about a whale mm-hmm. it's also an interaction with wordsworth and, and mm-hmm. the, the things that were being written just prior to melville mm-hmm. and, right. any other examples that y'all can think of i mean i think you
1: just are our, our, the curriculum itself our curriculum structures this especially once you get into the the middle and high school years when you begin with the Iliad the Odyssey the Aeneid and then you move on to the Divine Comedy and you do it in that order because you got the story of the Iliad, the fall of Troy, and you're dealing with questions of heroism, of what it means to be a man, what it means to, to be a fighter, what it means to fight for what you love, love, friendship, all of these things are there. The gods, how do the, how the supernatural things come to play? And then you've got the Odyssey, which picks up with Odysseus after the fall of Troy. But then you have in the Aeneid, a Roman, someone who is several hundred, I mean, many centuries later than Homer, uh, Virgil is writing the Roman epic. And he's trying to place his people in the person of Aeneas and say that all of our, everything that defines us comes from this great tradition that the Greeks handed off to us. All that heroism, all that, all of that that struggle, all of that faithfulness, fidelity, et cetera, is bound up in the person of Aeneas, and that's our that's that's our forefather, and that's who we are. And then you've got, you know, Dante coming many centuries later and writing his epic, the divine comedy where he uses Virgil to get him so far, mm-hmm. if you will. And I don't want to give a lot of things away because you just need to read this. You need to pick this <laughs> up and read it. And it says, no, but actually Christianity comes alongside these other things and makes and, and takes us where these others couldn't and, and, and picks up. We end at a certain spot and only God then himself can take us further. Yeah. It reminds
0: mm-hmm. me of, you know, and then, you know, some of the Lancelot tales begin with tracing the lineage back to that's right. You know, the Iliad, Odyssey. That's right. I think. It was, what are they doing? They're trying to do the same thing. Root their mm-hmm. those Lancelot traditions in this broader conversation. Yeah. do not anything come to mind for you?
2: I just I can't get it in my head. I just recently read something with an author who what who is a contemporary author and said that Dickens. I was really interested in. Because it wasn't obvious the influence that Dickens mm. had had on his or her life, but I cannot remember who who it is or what I read.
0: There's probably so many but modern novelists that are really dependent
2: on Dickens. Well, you know, like I'm I'm afraid there aren't
0: there aren't enough. <laughs>
2: <laughs> right? I don't think there are enough. I think that's a problem we have mm. is mm. that we do have a lot of contemporary authors who haven't studied those great um, authors who are still being published for a reason. Mm. Well, and, and
3: another example that came to mind and I, this isn't a fully baked thought, so Maybe y'all will help me bake it. But, um, th- with Dumas and the Count of Monte Cristo, right? He's, he's dealing with some very human issues of injustice mm. and, 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 re- you know, uh, is it revenge or is it, or is it justice? That sort of mm-hmm. thing. Um, but he's also writing that because his father was, was unjustly imprisoned as a general in Napoleon's army. And so he's like in that he's working out his own thoughts about what, what is it, what does this mean for me? And, and so because that great conversation is what, what does it mean to be human and how does a how ought a human to act, uh, because these are humans trying to even work out their own thoughts on that, you know, they may, they may be reacting specifically to somebody or they may just be saying in my life, this is how I've had to handle this. I'm not going to be able to help you bake
0: it, but I'm going to put a little garnish on your idea and say that um, sometimes the great conversation, I think elevates a work because it's consciously participating in the great conversation. So what comes to mind is Frankenstein. I think Frankenstein is not a good story. (laughs) <laughs> I've said this publicly on the show before the monster learns how to speak by looking through a people at a family for a couple of weeks. That's a plot hole. I think we can all agree, <laughs> but the idea of Frankenstein, the question of, should we just because we have the ability to do something with science and technology, yeah. should yeah. we, the, the romantic notions of the novel are obviously very powerful and that's what's been so attractive to people for so long. Mm-hmm. Does that story hold up? <laughs> I'll let the reader decide.
2: I think it's just so incredibly sad, <laughs> sad. Um, that, that I really struggle. Doesn't think Frankenstein's oh, a good story? Is that what no. we're sad about? I think the story itself. I just don't ever want to read it again. Mm-hmm. I found it very painful and um, and so sad. Like you know, because he was such a not Frankenstein, but the monster was such a victim. Mm-hmm. Um, and the same thing with them. Um, is it King Kong? <laughs>
0: no. I, I'm not sure. There's
2: some there's some movie. Is it really that classic? Yeah, all right.
0: <laughs> but I think yeah, if you're going
1: it, for the
2: monster is the, the same? Yeah, King isn't Kong, King Kong the same yeah. thing? I think so. Where yeah, he's, you know he's it's on an just,
0: island. He's brought to yeah. New York, it's right? A, kind of a, a spectacle. Yeah.
2: So I, you know, I don't know. I I do think that possibly you could learn language by listening to a family <laughs> speak. <laughs>
0: Suspension of disbelief only goes so far for me in that after they, you know, animated life in a, from a pile of body parts with electricity, I was stretched and then learning English
2: through people. That was it. You, said you no. really need to use your imagination more. Yes. Work on that. You it's know that, what it, it is? It's nonfiction that you it, read all the time. That's what that. I was just getting <laughs> ready to say is you just need to read more fiction.
1: Well, I think one other thing too that we can talk about here, and I would like to use a modern example, a book that we all like, Amar Toll's Gentleman in Moscow. When we are talking about books participating in the great conversation, that doesn't mean that the book just alludes to these things, Mm, right? Like, Like a gentleman in Moscow alludes to so many great classical works, but what elevates, in my opinion, a gentleman in Moscow into something like the great conversation is that he takes on those same themes more than just allusions. The book is about friendship. It's about family. It's about, and so he, he at the beginning or at some point in gentleman in Moscow, he quotes the beginning of Anna Karenina, you know, which is the famous, all happy families are alike. Mm-hmm. All unhappy families are unhappy in their own way. And then the rest of the story of the gentleman in Moscow is about unhappiness and happiness achieved in family life. What becomes a family, what makes a family. So I think it's more than just an allusion to these things. It's an actual participation in taking up, even if you do allude actually explicitly allude to a conversation your Your very themed, your characters, everything points towards
2: do you know what ideas. he's read? I listened to an interview with him, but I don't think they ever asked him what influenced him. You know mm-hmm. what authors mm-hmm. influenced yeah. him. I'd like to know. Yeah.
3: I have to say that after all the hubbub that book has caused in this office, you're getting ready to get kicked out of here. No no I'm not actually. Okay. I was gonna say that is the best defense. Everybody else has said, Oh, it's so good, it's so good. Nobody has given <laughs> me a defense like Ian just gave me of that book. Oh,
2: you have you read it? Yes, I have. And you didn't like it much?
3: No, it, it was fine. It was fine. But it again, was fine. This is this is the same the same conversation I, I had with the Lincoln for Highway. So I want you guys to go after Paul right here. <laughs> I mean the same thing with the Lincoln Highway, like Martin comes in just raving about this book. Like it's the best thing since sliced bread. And I, you know, I'm like, it's, it's a fine book, but I don't like, it's, I don't think it rises to the level of Anna Karenina, but to say that I need to place it in the great conversation Mm -hmm. for these reasons. Okay. Now I need to go back and reread the thing. I think it could,
2: I think it could be on the same level as Anna Karenina. Oh my goodness. Oh <laughs> wow.
0: my goodness. Strong words. Ooh.
2: Have you read it?
0: I have not read it. Um, it's a modern piece of fiction. My wife has read it.
2: Mm-hmm. And loved it.
0: And loved it. I, I'll maybe
3: read it someday. I love how you said it's a modern piece of fiction as if like, of course I haven't read it because like it's has a, a bad, bad taste. It, I, it leaves a bad taste I in his I mouth. I love that, Shane. So
0: we've had this kind of wide ranging conversation about a great conversation. And let me let me end it on this. Someone could hear this conversation and sa- and think that we're basically saying the great conversation is any topic right. that's relevant to right. a theme. Like all education is doing mm-hmm. this. What makes a classical education uniquely suited to help prepare our students to enter the great conversation and perhaps contribute to it? I th-
3: think number one, it's the classical education is. Pairs that with the liberal arts, right? Mm -hmm. So if we've taught them the arts of language and, and, and thereby teaching them actually how to reason well, then that participation in the great conversation is not a participation based on emotions, but it's one based on, on rational thought that they've been trained in. Um,
2: And I think it goes back to the same, you know, we're reading Charlotte's web in the third grade mm and we are having, a conversation about it, mm. but what's our goal? Our end goal mm. is that then they will be able in high school to read Anna Karenina and to actually get the themes out of there that they need to get because we've prepared them for that. Wow. So it's not, yeah, it's not a book club.
3: Mm.
2: It truly is preparing them to read the best that was thought and said and be able not just to read it, but to discern. Um, and that, I mean, you, you can't just pick those hard books up and do that if mm-hmm. you haven't been prepared. Now that doesn't mean you can't, I don't feel like I was prepared until college. I didn't read good things until college. So it doesn't mean you can't get there, right. but I also read all those books with my children mm-hmm. and as a teacher and so I did start back there with those books and was able then to um, enrich my own personal life so that then I could read more difficult things. But it, it's, a, it's a journey. Mm. I,
1: th- I think that um, while in other educations might make you intellectual enough to, to pick up on theme, to pick up on the conversation. Um, And that's not to dismiss other educational systems that, that those systems can still produce people who are virtuous and who want to participate in the virtues of the conversation. But I think one of the strengths of our program of a classical Christian educational program is that, the virtue formation of the individual is so central to it that it's not just noticing themes, recognizing things. It's actually wanting to participate in those themes and to take what's good and actually embody that and take what's bad and actually not want to embody that. And
3: let those books actually change your life. That's right. Mm -hmm. Yes. That's right.
2: And I think we have to include, um, we have to include math and science in that in Latin, Mm -hmm. And, you know, those subjects that really do train the mind. Mm -hmm. So they're like exercises for the mind. That's right. And um, so that's an important part of it, too, even though we're not necessarily having a great conversation (laughs) (laughs) when we're studying Latin. But it is a preparation for us. It's all one thing. And just studying the ancient Greeks and the ancient Romans. I mean, they made all the mistakes. They did all the good things. So to learn from those things is really important. Hmm. Tanya. Yes. This has
0: been a great conversation about the great conversation. (laughs) I've enjoyed it.
2: I've enjoyed it too, Shane. I wonder if Paul and Ian enjoyed it. Yeah, it's great. I did. All
0: right. Thank you guys. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Classical Etc. You can find us on Spotify, Apple Music, or wherever else you get your podcasts. If you liked this episode, consider leaving us a positive review and sharing it with a friend. A huge thank you to the Memoria Press Podcast Network for hosting our show. Be sure to check out all the great podcasts there. As always, I'm Shane Saxon. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you next time.
1: You've been listening to the Memoria Press Podcast Network, providing a classical Christian perspective on the world of education. To learn more about Memoria Press, visit us at memoriapress.com. To connect with us, find us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you next time.